All right, we'll be in the latter section of Esther chapter 4 tonight. We need to pick up where we left off last week as we go through this book. Without giving you a huge recap, I want to just remind you that the decree has been issued for the Jews to be eradicated in 11 months. Through Hatok, one of Esther's chamberlains, Mordecai, informs her of the decree and how she needs to go before the king and do something about this, or at least try to. And even though she is his wife, (laughs) she just can't go into his presence. I recommend that for your home. (laughs) However you want to handle your marriage. Uh, (laughs) I'm only teasing. And if she goes before the king without him requesting her to, she can be put to death. And on top of that, it's been a month since she has seen her husband. And so she feels like she has fallen out of favor and is at greater risk of being put to death if she were to appear before him without being asked. And so Mordecai, we talked last week, he encourages her and he lets her know, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And then she finds the courage she needs to press on. And with that, let's read verses 16 and 17 of Esther chapter 4. Well, we'll read verse 15 for context. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go in unto the king which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther did command him. So the closing emphasis last week was how she says, if I perish, I perish. We see a woman here who has gone from being overcome by fear to overcoming her fear. And it's a lesson for us to understand that the fear of man is not from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. And so we need to overcome our fear and not let any man... um, Keep us from serving God and sharing the gospel. Tonight, we need to notice how she's not going to jump into this unprepared. This is a calculated move here. In verse 16, there's there's three days of fasting that there's going to be. And for tonight, this lesson inadvertently turned into a lesson on fasting. So, teens, I'm glad you're in here. I know that's... Probably the hardest thing in the world for teen boys to do anyway in our house. When I was that age, my dad said, will you please stop eating an entire box of cereal for breakfast? And now I know why. It's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. It's like, here's, here's some water and some chew on the ice cubes. Um, fasting. All right, so we're excited already, I can tell. She tells Mordecai, I gather all the Jews in Shushan, and she calls them to fast on her behalf. She and her maidens are going to be fasting as well. And for three days, they're not going to eat or drink anything. Wow. In the Bible, this is what fasting is. I'm not saying you're wrong if you fast from your television. <laughs> 
your phone, internet, or whatever pleasurable uh, enjoyment, hobby you have, if that's what God leads you to do, then do it. But understand that in the Bible, every occurrence of fasting is, is the refusal of food. We most, we, we most often use the word fast as somebody who's quick. And in the Bible, the word fast, instead of like somebody being quick, it'll say they're swift. But in the Bible, when you, when you read the word fast, it's, it's often describing something that is firmly fixed. You know, it's, it's, it's unmovable. And it's fastened. Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.13, Watch ye, stand fast. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. And I bring this up because a fast from food is something you have to be firmly fixed upon if you're going to make it. Everybody's like, I'm not addicted to anything. Uh, Go on a fast. Man, I need that sweet tea more than I thought I did. Lord, Thou knowest, it is the sweet nectar of life. And I think God's okay with sweet tea. And so, you have to be ready to undertake a fast. Your flesh is weak. And for many, it won't be long until you give in. Break fast. It's time for breakfast, right? Noah's dictionary, Noah Webster, 1828, it defines fast as abstaining from food beyond the usual time. (laughs) I'm trying hard not to pick on my wife here. Amen. I know it's coming. It's coming. It is not only breakfast. It's a snack. It's another snack. It's lunch. It's a snack. It's another snack. Supper. It's a snack. It's, um, yeah. And I tell her all the time she doesn't know how to die to her flesh. We get along great. Um, You know what I'm talking about? People who get hangry. We all know in the house. Can I just pick something up? Yes. Do not come home hangry. Pick up food. All right. I'm sorry. To omit to take the usual meals for a time, to fast a day or a week, etc. He goes on to say to abstain from food voluntarily. <laughs> you can't get lost in the woods and say, man, I went on a fast. No, you just, you just forgot. I mean, you got lost and... This is a voluntary thing for the mortification of the body or appetites as a token of grief, sorrow, and affliction. And the example given in in the dictionary, that's why I like the 1828 dictionary for those who don't know. Uh, He uses a lot of Bible verses to help explain. And so he talks about how David fasted a week for the child that was first conceived with Bathsheba. And God eventually took that child in death, but he fasted beforehand. Uh, He goes on still in his dictionary to say voluntary abstinence from food as a religious mortification or humiliation with a view to mortify the appetites or to express grief and affliction on account of some calamity um, or to deprecate an expected evil. So 
when you read those definitions, you get an idea of what a fast is. You're going without food. And in some cases, as we see here in our text, there's times that fasting will even include the absence of drinks. And I didn't have time to do an exhaustive search, but with the time I had, uh, there's only a handful of times where fasting includes the absence of water as well. And Moses on Mount Sinai is an example. 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. And that is an extreme case in our Bible. And because of that, I think we are to understand that Moses was supernaturally sustained by God being in his presence. That event to me is an outlier to be able to have 40 days without water. I do not recommend our church do that. So I don't think we're encouraged to fast that long from food and water. And it's not wise medically, as you know. The the average person can only go about three days without water. Some can last longer, but certainly not over a week. And there's many factors which come into play, a person's health and all these things. Um, Therefore, outside of Moses' unique experience, the longest time period in the Bible for a fast without food and water is three days. We have that in this account in Esther. We have the account of Saul of Tarsus after he was converted on the road to Damascus. He was struck with blindness and he didn't eat or drink for three days. And that's over in Acts 9.9 if you'd like the reference. The man of God in 1 Kings 13 that Brother Woodcock just recently preached to us about, he was charged by God not to eat any bread nor drink any water while he was in the place that God had sent him to. There was a time when Ezra did not eat anything nor drink any water. At the preaching of Jonah, the king of Nineveh proclaimed and published a fast where no man or beast could eat or drink anything. But in all of those occurrences, there's no time frame given. So the max would be three days without food and water. When it comes to fasting without food, but still with water, the max in Scripture would be 40 days. So I wouldn't recommend anybody try to break the record. I forget what it is. I think some Russian dude locked himself in a bubble and did like 58 days. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd like the results, but man, you talk about coming out hangry. And 40 days would be that. And and our Lord is our example. He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights after his baptism. And because he was led by the Spirit, I think if you're ever going to undergo a fast of that length, you better be led of the Spirit. I know a man who was once, it just popped in my head, he came for our family camp years ago. I believe it was Pastor Fila. That kind of rings a bell to me. I think he might have been from Spokane, Brother DeGarmo. And he had a wayward son. For those who were here, you may remember his testimony. And he had, a son had left home, and he said, I'm going to fast for 40 days, and he'll either come home or I won't eat during that time. And uh, on the 38th day, he was on his tractor, and the son came walking up. And so led of God is what I'm saying, very definite uh, there. So be led of the Spirit. Elijah ran for his life after Jezebel threatened to kill him. And God sent an angel to minister unto him in the wilderness. And and he was fed 
And God said, the journey is too great for thee. And on the strength of that food, he went 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount of God. He went to Horeb. But again, for such a long period, that was definitely led of God. Then in our Bible, there are fasts of much lesser lengths where people just needed to draw near to God, hear from God, be led by God, have the power of God upon them, experience victory, or have God intervene in their behalf in some manner. These are the most frequent fasts mentioned in the Bible. And that's what we have here in our text. The Jews are in a very desperate situation. The only solution is to turn to God beyond normal means. Are you hearing me? We aren't told that they cried unto God, but I would have to think at this point it's certainly implied. They're, they're fasting. They're putting on sackcloth and ashes and, and certainly they're crying out to God. And remember, God brings circumstances into our life to get you back into a relationship with Him. I don't know why I had to go through that. It could just be God wanted you to draw near. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You know, only you know if that's the case. But God does do that. And, and we can sense in our nation and in our churches that we don't see our desperate need for God anymore. I'm not going to ask you when's the last time you fasted. But, but we don't see that desperate desire of, of getting a hold of God. And it makes me wonder what God's going to bring to shake us up, to finally bring us to our knees in prayer and fasting. Every year there's a national day of prayer declared in our country. But it's a mandated thing. Did you know that? <laughs> Isn't that weird? During the Korean War, on April the 17th, 1952, President Truman signed a bill proclaiming a national day of prayer must be declared by each subsequent president at an appropriate date of his choice. Well, you can imagine you, you, you put something like that into law and it just turns into nothing more than a religious observance and, and not a whole lot else. As of 1988, we now observe a national day of prayer on the first Thursday of May. Designated by the United States Congress and people are asked to pray. This has morphed into nothing more than a joke. And, and I'm, I'm looking at this in context of what we see taking place in Persia. And here's the queen. She's declaring a fast amongst the Jews in Shushan. Obviously, word wouldn't travel fast back then, so that's as far as she could reach in a short manner of time. But this, this time of prayer is being called. And, and what we have in our nation, this, this call to prayer, it's a joke. It, it's a shameful religious exercise, and that's being way too kind. I'll, I'll further that point in just a moment. But I want to show you how far we have slidden, how this idea of prayer and fasting has changed throughout the years in our nation. As tensions were growing between the colonies and the crown, there were calls for days of fasting and prayer. Not just prayer, prayer and fasting. And Boston declared a day of fasting and prayer in September 1768 as the British were planning to station troops in the city. 
The colony of Virginia's House of Burgesses established a day of fasting and prayer to take place on Wednesday, June 1st, 1774 to protest the Boston Port Act. Uh, the people of Virginia, they would assemble for prayer where they would have preachers lead them in prayer. And Thomas Jefferson wrote, quote, the effect of the day through the whole colony was like a shock of electricity, end quote. And Virginians were moved to choose delegates to establish self-rule. Uh, the, the colonies of South Carolina, Maryland, Georgia, all observed official days of fasting and prayer in 1774 and 75. And uh, the observance of a day of fasting and prayer was brought uh, to all of the colonists by the Continental Congress in 1775, where Congress issued a proclamation recommending a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer be observed by the English colonies on Thursday, July 20th, 1775. Uh, General George Washington, commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, called for a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer to be held on Thursday, May 6, 1779, and the Continental Congress agreed. In March 1780, Congress announced the day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer to be held on Wednesday, April 26, 1780. And I highlight these to, to tell you when, when our nation was desperate, we fasted and prayed. We were hungry for God to intervene knowing that our, hope, our, our case was hopeless without Him. How could a bunch of colonists defeat the greatest army at that time? Had to be of God. And so to God we will look. And, and that's what we're seeing. This case is so desperate, we have no other choice. We have no strength to defeat this. God has to intervene. On April the 30th, 1862, our nation was once again in a desperate situation as the Civil War raged. President Abraham Lincoln declared a national day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And, and notice the choice of words. It's a day of humiliation, humbling yourself. But to show you how this has changed, our national day of prayer is now called prayer and meditation. What happened to the fasting? You see, we've lost sight of our desperate need of God. And to show you what a joke this is in our day, here's an excerpt from President Biden's proclamation of prayer in 2021. Throughout our history, Americans of many religions and belief systems have turned to prayer for strength, hope, and guidance. Today, we remember and celebrate the role that the healing balm of prayer can play in our lives and in the life of our nation. As we continue to confront the crises and challenges of our time from a deadly pandemic to the loss of lives and livelihoods in its wake to a reckoning on racial justice to the existential threat of climate change. <laughs> Sorry, I threw up at that point. <laughs> Americans of faith can call upon the power of prayer to provide hope and uplifts for the work ahead. We celebrate our incredible good fortune that as Americans we can exercise our convictions freely no matter our faith or beliefs. Let us find in our prayers, however they are delivered, the determination to overcome adversity, rise above our differences, and come together as one nation to meet this moment in history. I invite the citizens of our nation to give thanks in accordance with their own faiths and consciences 
for our many freedoms and blessings. And I join all people of faith and prayers for spiritual guidance, mercy, and protection. Now, what's interesting is if you go back and read that proclamation for yourself, a call for prayer, <laughs> there is not one mention of God. Zero. We call on the power of prayer. Who in the world are you praying to? All faiths, all religions. And so now we just have this syncretized mess. Let's call on all religions to just come together and pray. That's a problem. I'll take heat any day for not sharing the stage with other religions. And so now we want to blend it all together. So for fun, I decided to read President Trump's proclamation to be fair and balanced. Uh, the one the year before in 2020, he mentioned God directly 11 times. And nine times by various names. He even quoted 1 John 5.14. And instead of citing our incredible good fortune, President Trump called them the blessings of our nation. In Trump's proclamation, we read, President Reagan noted our long reliance on prayer throughout our history, writing through the storms of revolution, civil war, the great world wars, as well as during times of disillusionment and disarray, the nation has turned to God in prayer for deliverance. You know, on this note, can I just encourage you to get out and vote? You'll never convince me it's not important who we elect. Or who's in power. We have a Bible that tells us otherwise. Proverbs 29.2 When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And if you can give your voice, you ought to. But there's no denying the difference we have seen in our country from beginning to now. We we have left our, our firm foundation. We used to call for prayer and fasting, but now fasting is gone. We used to call upon God, but now certain presidents are just syncretizing all religions together into one big prayer basket. And we see just how far we have departed from who we once were. And so as a side note, I've got to mention this. And I'm not being cantankerous. But did you know that modern Bibles are removing fasting? When Jesus' disciples... Could not cast the devil out of that, that boy. Remember that account? And Jesus comes down off the mountain. Bring them to me. You know, how long have I got to suffer this generation? Bring them to me. And he casts them out. And, and he had no problem doing it. And the disciples come and they say, You know, Master, why could we not cast out uh, the demon? Or however it's worded there. And Jesus says uh, this in Matthew 17 and in verse 21. How be it? Well, first he tells them, It's because of your unbelief. But then he goes on to say, how be it, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. That verse is completely gone in modern versions. It goes, if you have a modern version, open it up. If you have an ESV, NIV, you'll notice in Matthew 17, it goes verse 20, verse 22. Verse 21 is gone. The same event is recorded in Mark 9. In our King James, we read, Jesus saying, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. But in modern versions we read this, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Fasting is completely removed. 
The same is true of 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But fasting is nowhere found in that verse in modern versions. Could it be that Satan does not want us to know the power of fasting? I have no doubt that that's who's behind it. So what's the big deal about fasting? It is our way of letting God know that we desire Him above all else. It is us being desperate enough for God that we will put our fleshly needs aside in order to seek for His intervention in our lives. That we seek the sustaining God in favor of what we view as sustenance. Job uh, 23.12 I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. When Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and He's being tempted of the devil, we have, we have some of those accounts and the devil comes to Jesus. The Bible says, sometimes I think the Bible is just humorous and, and of course there are some pretty funny parts, but it says Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards He was hungry. Yeah. Amen. Ask my wife after three hours. Amen. 40 minutes. And so uh, here's Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights, and he's hungry. And Satan comes and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, how about you turn these stones into bread? Remember what Jesus said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Something to that effect. I'll see if I got the verse here so you can have it properly and nobody can come and attack me afterwards. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Fasting is when we focus on God. Now, fasting has a lot of health benefits that we're not going to get into. Aren't you glad? So some of you may fast for health reasons, but a spiritual fast is when you're going to deny yourself in order to fully seek God. Now, some won't fast because they know it's going to be miserable. The bottom line is, if that's your reason, you have an issue learning to die to yourself. One of my favorite passages on fasting because of how it touched our life at the time right before we moved back up here. Uh, Ezra 8.21 Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all of our substance. Fasting is an affliction. Isaiah 58, God took issue with their fasting because as God said, Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure. So he said, I don't want to fast. It's no fun. It's not supposed to be. It's, not, it's an affliction. It, it's not pleasurable. It's, a, uh, it's often accompanied with mourning in the Bible. Not always. And, and it, is, it is a cry for our helpless condition. In short, I would say, it, it's to really get a hold of God. And sure enough, in Ezra 8.23, So we fasted and besought our God for this, and He was entreated for us. Daniel wanted to hear from God, so he fasted. Daniel 9.3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And while he was praying, God sent the angel Gabriel to give him skill and understanding. God said in Isaiah 58.6, 
the kind of fast that He has chosen is to loose the bands of wickedness. The prophet Joel said in Joel 1, 14 and 15, Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord your God. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. A fast was called because God's judgment was on the way. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. Who knoweth if He will return and repent and leave a blessing behind Him? even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? God wanted them to understand their desperate condition. Judgment was on the way. And so God wanted them to fast. Show me that you're serious about this. Cry out to me to be merciful. It was a similar situation in, um, in the king of Nineveh's day there in Jonah's day, I guess I should say. The king proclaimed a fast, and, and this is what he said, Cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? Jonah 3.10 And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that He said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. Nehemiah learned the remnant of the captivity were in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem was broken down. The gates had been burned. And, and when he, he learned of this, he sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted. And prayed before the God of heaven. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And that's what we have in our text. Esther was in fear. And as she's overcoming her fear, and as she's about to go in before this king, this erratic, drunk king, she's, she asked for prayer and fasting. I'm just suggesting to you tonight that fasting is a critical part of our walk with God. And if we never find ourselves fasting, we have to ask ourselves, are we really wanting all that God is? Jesus said, when ye fast. I mean, the implication is you're going to fast. When ye fast. The Bible wisely does not give us a time frame. 
it would turn it into nothing more than a pharisaical observation, and we'd be puffed up with pride. And it would not be heartfelt. So with these verses I've cited tonight, fasting brings power. Fasting helps with guidance from God. Fasting can help our understanding. Fasting can help battle sin and wickedness. Fasting can help when God's judgment is on the way. Fasting can touch the heart of God. And as we see in our text, fasting can help overcome our fear. It can help us find favor with God. No, it's not pleasurable. It's an affliction. It can involve mourning. And ultimately, if you're going to fast, your heart has to be right with God. Because in Jeremiah 14, 12, God said to backslidden Israel, when they fast, I will not hear their cry. And so this is the picture here at the end of of Esther chapter 4. They have nowhere else to turn. So they're fasting for God's intervention. They are afflicting themselves. Now don't get this confused with what the Catholics do over in the Philippines or maybe even down in Mexico, I don't know, where they flog themselves and they, they crawl on their knees and just become a bloody mess in order to supposedly impress God. That's not the kind of affliction we're talking about. This is an a, a internal humiliation. And, and so what they're doing here, I believe, is they're trying to show God how serious they are about their desperate situation. God, we do not have the answer. And so we're going to fast so that when Esther walks in before the king, we know we've done all that we can do. And if she dies... If I perish, I perish. But I will know that I have a clear conscience with God that I did everything I could do. And some people go through very serious situations and they never get desperate enough to say, I want you more than food. And listen, if you don't think food's a big deal, read your Bible. Genesis 3. Don't eat of that tree. I want it. Esau sold his birthright for food. Have you ever been serious enough to fast? Have you ever wanted more of God than you wanted of food? Have you ever been in a situation so serious there's no other recourse? Now, I understand some will say my health won't allow me to fast. If that's you, you don't have to come to me and tell me that. I know you're spiritual. I'm not saying you're not. I'll just tell you this. You do whatever the Lord tells you to. But what I've shared with you tonight, this is what biblical fasting is. So we'll see how this turns out next time. Amen? Or you can read the next few verses. All right. Well, let's close in prayer without fasting.